At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare when you buy kroger brand products you feel like you're winning that's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices in fact we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. When you look at the makeup of our group, we have a competitive hockey team. I really like the group of guys that we have. They're terrific people, first and foremost. Uh, we have a wealth of experience. Uh, there's a lot of Stanley Cup rings in that locker room, and, uh, and I believe these guys can draw on those experiences to help us. If the NHL playoffs keep going like this, I'm going to be pretty rich. But part of my path to financial independence, unfortunately, involves that guy's team losing We'll see how Mike Sullivan and the Penguins do versus the Rangers tonight in Game 1. It is hockey playoff time, and this is the Bet Rivers Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Bet Rivers has a special offer through the entire NHL playoffs. Place three same-game parlays of $10 or more on each round and receive a $10 free bet. At the conclusion of each round, think of it as a betting hat trick. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Create your ideal combo with same game parlays on the Bet Rivers app or call BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. Last night, the Leafs, the Blues, the Hurricanes, and the Kings all won. I picked the Blues and Canes in their series. I stayed off the Oilers series. I did pick the Lightning, but I did pick the Leafs last night in Game 1. Kind of now I'm picking the Penguins tonight in Game 1, but I'm taking the Rangers in 6. I also have the Panthers to win their series at minus 335 for a little. And I have the Panthers at minus 1.5 in the series for more at minus 154. 
I have the Penguins at plus 117 to win this evening and the Rangers at minus 112 to win the series. I have the Rangers winning it in six. The exact payout is plus 525. We'll get into the nuances of those numbers with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network shortly. But before we do that, let's talk Pirates today against Detroit, two of the lowest scoring teams in baseball. Pittsburgh 24th with 80 runs, the Tigers 28th with 67, and the Tigers don't give up many with 87. That's 11th best in baseball. The Pirates do at 121. Even if you subtract the 21 they allowed on one game against Chicago, they'd still be 24th with 100 even. Bryce Wilson, one hit in four innings last time. Michael Pineda, one and one with an ERA of 360. I'm going under eight and feeling comfortable about it. I don't have much of a feeling on a winner here. I just know minus 148 is too much to play on the Tigers to beat anybody, even against the Buckos. But I like the under there. I like the White Sox versus the Cubs. Smiley and Kopech, that's plus money at 6.5. I'll take that and give me Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers over the hideous Reds, even at minus 225. But as far as the Penguins go, let's get back to them. When it comes to analysis of the upcoming Penguins-Rangers Eastern Conference playoff series, there's not much needed to go beyond the basics. The Penguins star players need to score, something they haven't done all that well in each of their three first-round playoff losses over the last three years. Casey DeSmith, the Penguins goalie, has to prove that he's at least worthy of being on the same ice as the Rangers netminder Igor Shosturkin. The Penguins need to find a way to deal with the Rangers' team speed and generate more than the disappointingly low 25.2 shots per game they threw at Shesterkin over the course of four regular season contests between the clubs, three of which were won by the Rangers as the Pens managed a piddly four goals over four games. If the Penguins fail in those departments, they'll get swept out of the first round by a New York team, just as they did against the Islanders in 2019. However, if the Penguins can win a game or two early and force a long series, then maybe the matchup game between the two coaching staffs will come into play. After all, when it appeared like the Pens and Rangers were locked into being each other's first-round dance partners months ago, a large chunk of the conversation seemed to be about which team would finish second in the Metro and which team would finish third because the better-seeded team would have home ice advantage in four out of the seven games. That talk faded as the season grinded through its last month, though, since the Penguins stumbled through the last few weeks of the season and just seemed happy to avoid dropping to fourth, and the Rangers shifted their attention and nearly surpassing the Carolina Hurricanes for first place, but they didn't. So the long-predicted 2-3 showdown between the Rangers and Pens has manifested, with Game 1 occurring at Madison Square Garden, the first of potentially four contests with the Rangers having the final line change during the games via home ice advantage. Penguins president of hockey operations, Brian Burke, sat in during a March episode of the Penguins GM Coaches Show on 105.9 The X, and he explained to host Josh Getzoff that the best way for road teams to minimize the impact of home teams getting the last line change is simply winning the faceoff. Everyone thinks if you've got home ice, you get the last matchup. You don't unless you're a good faceoff team. So, like, when I was in Anaheim, we had a great face-off team. We would play in Ottawa or in Minnesota, wherever we were playing. We would win the draw, dump it in, and change. We would then have the matchup we wanted. So, 
if you have a good face-off team, you, you don't need home ice to control the line changes. During the season, the Penguins were better in that category of face-offs, winning 51.1% of their draws. That's tied for 11th in the NHL. The Rangers were 24th at 48.1. But over the course of four head-to-head contests, each team won the battle in the circles twice. In total, the Penguins had an 84-74 advantage, 53% to 47%. But when it comes to chasing matchups, when the Pens and Rangers face one another to that extent, how important of a tactic is that? It seems like the two teams are content with having firepower versus firepower. As naturalstatric.com illustrates, in each of the three games the team has played against each other when Sidney Crosby was in uniform, he was sick for the fourth, the Rangers had Mika Zibanejad's line on the ice, five on five more than any other. He was usually paired with Chris Kreider and Frank Vetrano in the two games, at least when he faced Crosby as a Ranger since being acquired from Florida. In the game that Crosby missed, a 3 nothing loss at MSG, Kreider, Zibanejad, and Vetrano they were deployed against Evgeny Malkin's unit for over nine minutes of ice time, by far the most of the game. Adam Fox and Ryan Lingrid skated against Crosby's line more than any defensive pair in all three games, and they took on Malkin's group the most in the contest that Crosby missed. Similarly, Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin were the dominant Penguins defensive pair on the ice against Zabinijad's line, usually getting 7.5 to 8.5 of 5-on-5 ice time. But according to Sullivan, sometimes chasing the matchups can be a fruitless venture to the point that it can backfire. We'll look for certain matchups and trying to get uh, certain guys on the ice to get certain people. Uh, but we're certainly not going to chase it and uh, and take our team out of the rhythm either. I think sometimes uh, you, you, know, you can win the matchup battle but lose the war if you're not careful. And, and you know, we believe we've got uh, we've got capable people that can play against anyone. Uh, but but certainly we will look for certain matchups uh, when they arise. So how the matchups influence the game and how the faceoffs influence the matchups are elements to monitor. But to reiterate, if Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Jake Gensel don't score, and if Casey DeSmith can't keep pace with Shesterkin, everything else will be reduced to footnote status. Period. We get to those topics and more right now with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He joins us for his weekly chat. Here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. After months of us talking about this potential outcome, what do you think now that it's here? I think it's still an intriguing matchup. Uh, the Penguins held their own pretty well in the first game against the Rangers this year. That was a one-nothing victory. Uh, and and what was funny about that is that that was the only win that they had of the season series, and it was versus the pre-trade deadline New York Rangers. The version that now has Frank Vetrano and Andrew Kopp and uh, kind of revamped their their middle six a little bit there looks a lot tougher to play against. Uh, they showed to be a lot tougher to play against, and, it, and the proof was in the pudding. They went up against the Penguins. Yeah, they held their own a little bit in those games. I don't think that they were blown away by any means. I thought they had moments in which they were effective. They just made they, – they didn't seem to have an answer for the Rangers' speed. So I think that – that is still going to be a big problem in this series, Tim. And I, I, I've seen enough Penguins over the years to realize that, yeah, anything is possible and they have a chance to catch teams off guard because if they can score, because uh, that's also a big bugaboo for them here because they, they run into a goaltender like Shesterkin and they have you know problems getting pucks past them. If they can start getting some pucks in and score goals on their opportunities, that will make this series very interesting. But if the offense dries up and the big guys don't carry their load, 
I think the Rangers could have easy work here with the Penguins with the way their speed and zigzag passing through the neutral zone exposed some of the Penguins defenders to be awfully flat-footed and created so many odd man rushes going the other way. And then that turned into misdirection in front of their goaltenders. And that was when Tristan Jari was playing. So now that you have Casey DeSmith and Louis Domingue, who knows what the future holds. But I think it's still going to be a, a better series than I think people are giving it credit for. But I, I don't know that the Penguins have the secret elixir to get back past this version of the New York Rangers. They look pretty darn good to me. Yep. Penguins and Rangers, game one Tuesday night, game two Thursday, Saturday and Monday at PPG Paints Arena. I like the Penguins to squeak out and surprise the Rangers for one of two on the road against MSG, uh, at MSG rather. I I think that they win one of two at PPG Paints Arena 2 match. Then I've got the Rangers closing it out from there. How about you? Yeah, I I could see that happening. I could see them coming back home with a 1-1 series and then maybe even dropping both on home ice, which would leave a lot of terrible tastes and a lot of mouths in Pittsburgh. And then very, you know, maybe quietly go unceremoniously into the night in just five games. I'm not going to be surprised though, if it's a six game series with the Penguins going out four to two, that's what we've kind of seen happen in recent years here. Uh, when the, when the ball starts snowballing against them and, and rolling downhill, they don't usually, at least since 2018 have not had an answer for turning things around and stopping the bleeding in series. So if they don't show that they've made adjustments and or have an answer for somewhat of what the Rangers are doing early on, I think that's going to be problematic for them. But I I am on board with your 1-1 split coming back from New York. Penguins are never overwhelmed playing at MSG. I think they've had great success there over the years, Um, especially in the playoffs. They've proven to be able to handle them. But this is a different-looking Rangers team with their speed. Now, that said, I will be very intrigued to see what the Penguins lineup itself looks like. I'm sure we'll talk a little about that here. But when you look at the the lines today uh, before they're getting ready to pack up and go, they still don't have Drew O'Connor on a line. Um, it looks like they were going with what they did the other day, which was Crosby, Gensel, Rust, Heinen, Gino, Raquel, McGinn, Carter, Kapanen, Boyle, Bluger, Rodriguez. I was hoping that maybe – you could get someone like O'Connor in the spot of a rod, uh, Erod or a Kapanen just to get a little bit more speed. I know those guys can skate, but we've heard all season how Drew uh, Drew O'Connor was showing off this speed, and he can win faceoffs and he can kill penalties, and he played in all capacities down on the farm. I, I kind of was hoping to see him get in, and that's not to say he won't because Mike Sullivan doesn't want to tip his hand. But with the lineup that I'm seeing, that same kind of lineup was beaten three times in a row by the Rangers this season. It's kind of interesting to look at the line right now. The Rangers are minus 118 to win the series. The Pens are minus 105 to win the series, both in minus money. I'm surprised at that. Uh, just a lot of people, I guess, throwing cash down on Sid, Gino, and Latang out of habit, and maybe a little bit of dubious thinking that the Rangers are quite ready for this, and some folks disturbed that Shesterkin and the rest of the team wasn't that sharp going into the postseason? Yeah, I mean, I think there is something to that, Tim. And I, this is what was so odd, though, about the last month of the NHL season, specifically in the East. I think that so much was wrapped up that we heard, um, uh, um, what was it, Gerard Gallant the other day all, all but admit that he knew his team was sloppy. And it was the first time I'd ever heard a coach really talk this way. He pretty much said that they, he didn't say they mailed it in. But he was saying it was tough to get up for games because they were they were largely solidified. 
And I think that was the case with the top four or five, maybe even up to all eight teams, because they knew they were all pretty much clinched. It was just a matter of who, who you were going to play. And then the Caps went into that swoon late season, so they weren't really nipping at the heels of the Penguins or Rangers anymore. They lost four straight. So the Pens and Rangers were just kind of going head-to-head in terms of where they would finish. Once they opened that up to you know, a handful of points where they didn't think that they would have to worry about the Pens, I think that that helped them kind of just dip a little. So all of these teams might – and I don't, I don't believe in flipping the switch and all that kind of stuff, but I just think that they were all kind of largely bored with the last – three weeks of the season even though many of them still had things to jockey for and it will be uh, a little different animal moving into the playoffs and seeing how they all go head to head now the penguins have had some uh success against the rangers historically and that could be why that's affected the betting line in the way that it has they've um you know proven to be able to beat them but this season if we're just looking at it uh, as a a one-off the Rangers have proven or looked to be a clear-cut favorite coming into this series. But maybe just the way that they are just a little bit more of a favorite than the Penguins tells you that um, there are a lot of people out there that still believe in a group led by Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin going up against the New York Rangers, who they've been able to handle at times in the past. Kind of interesting to look at the numbers and see uh, the exact series outcome, Mets. It's 101 for the Rangers to win in a sweep. The most narrow odds are Rangers winning in seven, but the next is Rangers winning in five. Uh, the <laughs> longest odds after the Rangers winning in a sweep is actually the Rangers winning in six. So that's that's kind of funny to me. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure why the money is coming in that way, but it is. Yeah, similarly, you know. Similarly, it's plus four seventy five for the Penguins to win in six. And it's plus five seventy five for them to win in seven, which is a little weird to me too. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm, well, let me ask you this, Tim. If you're picking it, I, I almost feel like if the Penguins are going to win, there's absolutely no chance it's a sweep. Uh, I don't think there's no you know any chance of it being a five gamer. I think if the Penguins win this, it for sure is a six or seven game series. I mean, it's not a short series. If the Penguins yeah, win. Yeah, and I guess there's a theory there that suggests that the Penguins, if they're going to win in six, it has to be six because they're not going to win a game seven at MSG. I, I think that's why people, if they're saying the Pens are going to win, uh, the odds might be more narrow for them in six than seven. I understand that. I just don't know why it's 50-1 to one for the Rangers to win in five. It's 47 <laughs> and a half for them to win in seven, but you know you get more of a payout if you put it at six. That what, they're going to win an elimination game on the ice with Sid and Gino? Is that the thinking that's too hard to do? Possibly, and maybe it's just a little bit of history because I was looking at how they have fared in the past. And when the Penguins have beaten the Rangers historically here, and one time for the Rangers because the Penguins have a 5-2 edge in terms of what they've done historically against the Rangers in these playoff series. But the first time they met way back – uh, in 89, that was a 4-0 um, sweep for the Penguins. I was lucky enough to see the two home games in that series and witness Guy Lafleur playing for the Rangers, by the way, in 88-89, which was pretty cool. Wow. Um, but that was – and that's the year, of course, that the Penguins were, uh, you know, scared off in the second round by the Flyers with the Hextall incident and all of that stuff. But uh, after that, you have a 4-2 Pens win, but then it was a 4-1 series win for the Penguins. Another 4-1 series win for the Penguins. Then they lost um, – they blew that 3-1 lead back in 13-14. That's when Marty St. Louis' mother died. And the Penguins had a 3-1 lead there and were well on their way to another 4-1 series victory. But that emotional 
change in the environment of the Rangers kind of flipped that series. And then the Penguins blew it. But then they lost four to one in 14, 15, and then won four to one the next year in 15, 16 on route to the cup. So most of the series with these two teams seem to be four, one, four, two series with that weird anomaly of the Penguins blowing a three, one lead. So I, that could be some of what maybe the odds makers are looking at when they're setting the odds for how the series may go and calling it a five gamer. Again, Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins radio network. Here with me, Tim Benz, in our weekly Breakfast with Benz hockey podcast. Matchup-wise, Mets, do you see the Penguins chasing any matchups specifically? Do you see the Rangers chasing any matchups specifically? Well, I'm I'm looking for them to pretty much all night long get Frank Vitrano on the ice as often as they can against the Penguins. He has nine goals in 16 career games against them, uh, 13 points. And I think that's what made him an attractive uh, commodity to bring in. But if you're looking for um, one matchup that the Penguins absolutely do not want, I would say it is a Chris Kreider versus their PK. Uh, And that means staying out of the penalty box. He had 26 power play goals this year. Uh, He just posts up in front of the net. I'm not sure how the officials are going to call that cross-checking that they kind of cleaned up for most of this season. And I think that benefited guys like Kreider in terms of them getting to the front of the net. But the Rangers now, when you look at the way they're built, Tim, all four of their lines have good checking players. They have good offensive players. And if I'm going to go and just look at which center that you're going to see matched up, you may just see the top line versus top line. Maybe put Zabinijad out there against Sidney Crosby, uh, and that would probably be a fun matchup for run-and-gun offense because when those two are on the ice – you do see those lines exchanging chances a little bit more than not. Sabinajad getting on the, the odd man rushes his way with the zigzag passing I talk about. And then, of course, we've seen Sid, Jake, and Rust do that kind of thing against the Rangers. I don't know that they have a, a true shutdown center unless you're looking at Barclay Goudreau, who is now kind of uh, heading up their fourth line. But I think Ryan Strom has good history of going into the faceoff circle against all of these centers on the Penguins roster. I think maybe... If you can get Jeff Carter up against uh, Strom or Philip Heedle, that may give you a little bit better offensive look for your third line. But I, I, we're going to know pretty much what the Rangers want to do after those first two games because they will have the last change. And so we'll see what kind of matchups Gerard Gallant's certainly going to want to use against the Pens and their top centers for sure. One thing that's come to pass, unfortunately, in the wake of the Raquel trade is that without Zach Aston Reese, I really don't think they have a shutdown defensive line anymore do you no uh, we were just discussing this last saturday on penguins live weekly now i will say this depending on how you change the lineup up if you do it all tim i think mcginn carter for starters uh is the, is a nice build on what they used to have with their third line because both of those guys can be good defensive players mcginn's one of the best defensive forwards on this roster Kapanen kind of brings that down a notch uh, the fourth liners that are currently built together are Boyle, Bluger, and Rodriguez. Again, the right wing on both of those lines just leaves me wanting in terms of bottom six forwards. But of the four guys that you have making up the other part, portions of that, I think you can build pretty solid-looking uh, lines that could defend. And maybe that is where you get a Drew O'Connor in there. He forechecks very well. He has an active stick, and he has some speed. And then you mix in just a little bit of offensive upside. I, I still am not going to be shocked if we see O'Connor get a chance on one of those wings uh, to get slotted in uh, and give him a little bit of a look 
in that role on a checking line because I, I just think that that gives them a little something um, that they don't have with those two players I just mentioned right now. But I do like Bluger, Boyle, McGinn, Carter in being used to build a checking line. And maybe you shuffle them around a little bit. Uh, get If you had to, put uh, Teddy Bluger on a wing with Carter and McGinn and then build your fourth line around Boyle, um, Drew O'Connor, and then one of the wingers that we're knocking out in terms of Kapanen or Rodriguez. And I would probably put it uh, in the Rodriguez camp because he's a little bit more of a physical body than Kasperi Kapanen is at this point. What's fair to ask of to expect from Casey DeSmith in the series? Well, he's, he certainly turned his season around, Tim. I mean, if, I know there's been a lot of talk of his final, uh, you know, 15, 17 appearances. I believe he is like pushing a 930 save percentage over that span. And he had one of the best goals against over that span at 2.4. So he's, he's shown an ability to make saves and to swallow rebounds to a certain extent. He does a lot better when his team helps him in front. Uh, there were games such as the Boston one where they gave up a, a, really a crap ton of shots to, to just call it that. But they cleaned up the rebounds very well for him. He didn't have to face that too many second and third opportunities. If they can play that way in front of him, I think he's very capable. I think he will give them a chance to win some games. But if you get him you know, going side to side a ton – I, I have some concerns, and what I mean by that is going second, third, fourth opportunity because when they get those, that is how they beat Louis Domingue even. Uh, in his last start, he was making the first save almost every time, and then they were kind of pinballing around in front of him and making him move a lot, and that's how they scored. I think Casey can be beaten the same way, and then you stir in the fact that Casey's not the biggest man. I know that there's a whole lot being made of that, that he's a little bit shorter than the average NHL goaltender, and he does a good job of challenging and coming out and cutting off angles uh, due to his size because he just gets a little bit further out in his crease. One concern came to light for me over the last couple of games, and I'm, I'm sure you saw this as well. And I wasn't really going to hold him to take him to task for it when Connor McDavid did it, but it happened in the Columbus game as well. He got on the right post and got a little too low, and his size bit him because he left the far corner exposed. McDavid beat him in from close when the Edmonton Oilers came in the other night. And then uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand for the Columbus Blue Jackets scored a power play goal from that exact same spot because Casey got over, crouched on the post, and left the far corner exposed. If you do that to the Rangers, I think they are going to pick him apart in that same way. He's got to stay upright and get out and cut the angles down and hope for some help from his defenseman in front of him to clean up some of those messes. What is fair to expect and to ask from Jason Zucker? Is it just staying healthy the whole series? I would say that's a, a big key. And what just today Sullivan said now, um, for sure, the only thing he would admit is Zucker and Jari are not available for the first couple of games. So uh, in my mind, does he get back at all? Um, you know, at this point, it's kind of a disappointment because he came back and was a very effective player on the second line. And had he been available to play there, that changes the whole lineup as well. Not that Danton Heinen's any more of an effective checker than Kapanen or Rodriguez, but that would give you another guy with a little scoring touch on a third line with McGinn and Carter. I think he's looked pretty good slotting in with Gino and Raquel at this point, at least down the stretch in the last handful of games. But I was preferring to have Jason Zucker in that role. Maybe the good news is that Heinen kind of heated up at the right point of the season and could be an effective top six player for them. But I, I don't know that I have high hopes for Jason Zucker at this point, Tim. Um, maybe you get him late in the series. If you get too late in the series, 
But based on what we're hearing right now, I have no confidence that he is going to be able to step in and be a very effective contributor. Now, maybe he'll prove me wrong, and I hope he does. But I, I right now, I have some concerns about him being available to this team if they don't get beyond the first round. This is all wonderful talk. If Crosby, Latang, <laughs> and Malkin don't score like Crosby, Latang, and Malkin and throw Rust and Gensel in there too, there's no reason to have the rest of the conversation. No, you need the big guys to produce and, and be your biggest contributors because I think that is the, the elephant in the room, right? I mean, I know Gino last year had a pretty effective series against the um, against the Islanders. He was, what, over a point a game or a point a game player playing on one leg. But beyond that, this is a situation where the Penguins just – they need their big guys to, to step up and produce. I mean, if they don't, they're really going to be in, in a tough spot. And I was just pulling the numbers here. If you look back just to the 18-19 season, Tim, you have, in terms of goal scorers, you have Jeff Carter, who's a brand-new addition to this team. He's only played four playoff games for them, and he has four goals. Jason Zucker has played 10, and he has four goals. Sidney Crosby, 14 games, three goals. Rust, 14 games, three goals. Gensel, 14 games, three goals. Gino, 12 with two goals. And Chris Letang, 14 games with one goal. So that really tells a big story for me that all of your biggest players right there, Sid, Rust, Gensel, Gino, and Latang, have combined for, what, uh, 12 goals in the last three playoff runs, and that's spanning uh, 12 to 14 games each for those guys. That's below the bar of where they need to be. And if they don't find a way to produce, and I don't want to put it all on them because, yes, secondary scoring is very huge. It's a key. It's something we talked about all season. But if you want to win in the playoffs, you need a good dose of secondary scoring. But the guys who are the, the big boys, the, the load carriers, have to get out there and carry the load. And they have not been able to do that for one reason or another over the past handful of seasons here. So what should I do with the Panthers bet, Mets? Should I throw it all down on minus 335, the Panthers, to beat the Caps and just spend big to not win big? Or should I... <laughs> Go with the Panthers at minus a game and a half at minus one fifty-two. What are the uh, the Caps odds to win it, Tim? If you want to pick an upset special, I just heard the guys on over on uh, uh, the NHL Network radio talking whenever we were returning from an appointment today, saying, "Oh, there's an upset special to be had. Maybe it's those Washington Capitals." I don't see that happening. Uh, so maybe I would go the minus one, uh, minus a game and a half there, Tim. That seems like a little bit more chance to make a, a dollar or two rather than just take the what? Would you say it was minus, minus three something? And then for the yeah, Capitals that's... to win, for the Capitals to win outright, regardless of game length, it's plus two fifty five. Geez, that's not even. I would have thought that would have been even a little bit better, but I think people are going to shift that a little bit by putting some money on it because it's like, hey, what do I got to lose? Throw a couple bucks on it. Um, I, I would say take the take that minus uh the minus games for the panthers maybe because i I feel like they're gonna win i just don't know you have to play you have to place too much down to win the outright with the 333 or whatever that's that's a lot of money to have to put down to actually do any kind of damage to right uh what's the status of ovechkin now that is the million dollar question because for me i feel like they have been they've been lousy without him yeah well they've been but it's kind of what i was saying though did they Want to be lousy? Did they? I, I watched one of their games last week, and Vitek Vanacek was in goal. First of all, it didn't look like there was much going on in front of him. He wasn't getting a whole lot of support. 
but he was just waving his arm and a couple of goals that beat him. And I was, I was blown away by that. I don't know why. Um, it just seemed as if they, their hearts weren't in playing any more games and maybe they were just, okay, we clinched a playoff spot. We're okay. And there is a, uh, an article floating around from a uh, 21 hours ago or a day ago, all signs point toward Alex Ovechkin being available for game one. So whether he's 100% or not, it does sound like he will be in the lineup for the start of the playoffs, and that means good things for them. Because to your point, whatever the reason was, without Ovi, they did look like trash down the stretch, and that is the proverbial straw that stirs the cap drink, and he looks to be back for game one. So maybe they will be a team that catches the Panthers off guard because all of a sudden, I know we pointed to this a little bit here in Pittsburgh about Bobrovsky not necessarily being the uh, locked-in uh, world burner in terms of being the number one goaltender for the Florida Panthers. All of a sudden, a lot of these pundits, when they're picking who's going to win these series, they're like, well, maybe Bobrovsky could get touched up a little bit by the Capitals because he's had his issues in the playoffs in the past. But for me, that just opens up a beautiful story for the young Spencer Knight, who is a very highly thought-of prospect, who had himself a very effective season as essentially being the the backup goaltender all year, that it wouldn't shock me to see him come in on a, uh, a white horse and, and win some games too. So they're, they're punching nets better than I think it's getting credit for, but I would not be surprised to see the caps give them a little bit more trouble than maybe we're, we're, you know, envisioning moving into it specifically with Ovechkin being back. The avalanche are plus plus one thirty to win the West and in the East, the Panthers are plus two thirty five to win the East. So those are your favorites in each conference. You're going with the favorites. Or you're going with somebody else. Uh, that's intriguing to me as well, Tim, that the, um, the favorites kind of stayed locked in there because Calgary and St. Louis have gotten so much uh, push in the, in the last two months coming down the stretch over there. And I'm not going to be surprised if one of those two teams ends up representing the West. So maybe there's smarter money to be made. If you, you know, you drop a couple more bucks on one of those two teams to represent the West in the, in the Stanley cup final, Maybe that could happen. Each have, For me, the Blues' goaltending may be a little bit more sus, uh, suspect than Calgary's, but both of those teams can score uh, way more than we probably thought moving into the year. And um, I think Minnesota's probably going to have some say in what happens before it's all said and done as well. I don't know that Colorado is a, a locked-on winner coming out of that uh, that conference. Now, in the East, you mentioned Florida. It's It's – the same as any other year here where you see these people lying in the weeds and then they kind of bubble to the surface. If you paid attention to what the, what the uh, Tampa Bay lightning have been doing coming down the stretch, the, the back-to-back Stanley cup champion, all of a sudden they decided that, Oh wait, it's almost time to start playing again. And uh, they have just come down the stretch looking better than they did probably for the last two months of the season. They're getting healthier. I know their goaltender struggled a little bit, but they've lost just three games since April 10th and just two since April 19th, reeling off uh, five of seven wins. So they've started to score goals in those games as well. They have an, they have an eight-goal game, a six-goal game, an eight-goal game, and then a six-goal game. All those were wins. So I think that they will wreak some havoc, but I won't be surprised to see the Florida Panthers emerge as long as the goaltending that I kind of broke down a moment ago holds up for them because we know they're the highest scoring team in the league. They put up a ton of goals and they want some retribution for what happened to them last year coming in with fanfare and being sent, uh, you know, quietly into the night by their cross state rival or the in-state rival of the Florida Panthers or uh, the Tampa Bay lightning. I mean, 
All right, so my thanks to Mets. We will check in with Mike Pursuit after game one and before game two, not only to wrap up the draft, but also to look at the two games at MSG tomorrow. Like I said, we'll preview game two after finding out what happens in game one. It'll be part of our hockey coverage tomorrow. We'll also take a look at the lines for the game twos from the other series and recap the other things that take place in the Metro contests and in the Atlantic as well. Uh, when we come back, though, we talk football and discuss the Kenny Pickett draft choice for the Steelers. That's next here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. UFC 274 is Saturday, and Bet Rivers has a special profit boost for the big event. All players that log in on Saturday will receive a 20% profit boost on a UFC 274 parlay. Make your ideal UFC 274 combo on the main events, undercard, or combination of both. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This profit boost packs an extra punch at Bet Rivers. Bet on the app or at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back on the Pittsburgh City Cast. Over under for the Steelers. Seven and a half wins following the draft. Over is minus 121, under plus 100. I'm leaning over there, but not by much right now. As far as making the playoffs, plus 295 to make them, minus 385 to miss. Wow. Little faith in the Steelers to make the postseason, even after a lot of people were happy with the draft and the free agency, period. When it comes to writing sports columns or doing podcasts or doing talk shows, there should be no easier topic to formulate a hot take about than the local NFL franchise drafting a first-round quarterback for the first time in 18 years. So here's mine as it relates to the Steelers drafting Pitts Kenny Pickett in the first round of the 2022 draft. I don't love it, but I do like it. I applaud the move more than I disapprove of it. There. That's it. There you go. Yeah, I'm disappointed in me too. Not exactly hot takey on the most easily hot takeable debate in sports. But my reaction is largely tethered to who Kenny Pickett is as a quarterback because I tend to agree with the masses on Pickett's profile entering the NFL after a wildly successful end to his five-year pick career. He's going to enter the NFL ready to play early. He's polished, he's smart, he's physically capable. Worst case scenario, he's going to be average. Best case scenario, he's going to be very good, yet probably not great. As Steelers coach Mike Tomlin said, he's got a high floor for sure. Is the ceiling high enough, though, to be worthy of the number 20 pick? I'm less than sure about that. To be fair, though, Pickett vastly exceeded what I thought his ceiling was going to be with the Panthers. Maybe he's got another level in the NFL, too. When I posed that question of Pickett's ceiling to the new draftee himself on Friday, he had a pretty honest response. I don't know. I feel like when I went back to Pitt, I feel like a lot of people were saying, why is he going back? You know, how much better is he going to get? He's been there for four years. So um, I feel like I continue to improve every offseason just because of how hard I work and obsess over the little things of getting better. So there's plenty of areas I can improve. So I don't know what my ceiling will be. You know, we'll have to, we'll have to find out in a few years. After his pro day, Pickett did an interview on the NFL Network with Aditi Kinkabwala. And she told Pickett that she had heard the following names as comps for what Pickett could end up being in the pros. Matt Hasselbeck, Derek Carr, and Andy Dalton. 
I mean, they're all great. You're talking about pros, so that's why I said there's, I don't, you know, there's no slight I take for, for any uh, comparison. You know, I just always try to improve. If there's something I can take from somebody's game, I'm always going to do that. Um, that's why I'm excited to get to learn from, you know, Mason and Mitch and see what they do well and see if I can incorporate that with what I do. So you're always learning. You're always evolving. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Those comps to Pickett seem pretty close to me. They also seem pretty consistent with my lack of a spirited emotional reaction to the acquisition of Pickett himself. I hear the names Dalton, Hasselback, and Carr, and I say, eh, pretty good, not great. However, while that list may not be eye-popping to Steelers fans, the best of Matt Hasselback got him to three Pro Bowls and a Super Bowl. The best of Derek Carr has made three Pro Bowls and an MVP consideration to a certain degree before that injury of 2016. The best of Dalton helped him lead the offense star-crossed Bengals to five straight postseasons. That wouldn't be bad at all for Steelers fans, especially if the Steelers can eventually put a slightly better team around Pickett than those other quarterbacks had. Now, the worst from those guys may be part of the reason why none of them has ever won a Super Bowl, which, as head coach Mike Tomlin often reminds us, is the standard for the franchise. Well, except for the past 13 seasons, of course. Does Pickett end that drought someday? I wouldn't rule it out. If his last year at Pitt was more of an awakening of what he can be as opposed to the top level of what he could ever become, Carr, Hasselbeck, and Dalton would then be flattered to be compared to him instead of the other way around. I'm just cautious of assuming his skills are translatable enough to the NFL for that to be the case. What I'm more sure of is he's already the best quarterback on the team, I'm more certain that he's got more room to grow than Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph. The Steelers seem to feel that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have drafted him in the first round with Rudolph on an extension and Trubisky just a few weeks into his recently signed two-year contract. I'm also certain that the team had the right mindset to draft who they perceive to be the best quarterback available when they have an opening on their roster. My more reactionary opinion about what Pickett's presence says about the Steelers and their approach to easing out of the Ben Roethlisberger era, to me, it feels as if they are blindly making it up as they go along. That's where I come down with a little bit more of a hot take response, is that I'm just not so sure the Steelers know what they're doing. The Steelers' QBs better be able to throw passes as hard as the Steelers' front office is throwing different solutions at the quarterback problem, as hard as they're throwing things at the wall to see if they stick It allowed Big Ben to return after 2020, but for just one more year. They extended Rudolph, but just through 21. They brought Dwayne Haskins on board in January of 21. Trubisky came to terms on March 14th. Haskins got a restricted free agent deal on the 17th. They drafted Pickett Thursday. Given the recent tragic death of Haskins on April the 9th, they still may be bringing in a fourth quarterback for training camp, but it looks like it'll be the guy that they drafted in the seventh round, Chris Oladukun. And they may even try to trade Rudolph or Trubisky depending on whether or not that guy looks capable. Whatever the Steelers have been telling us about their plan of succession for Roethlisberger, it has proven to be unclear. Hopefully Pickett proves he's worthy enough that they'll no longer need to keep trying much beyond when he gets into the starting lineup. All right, that'll do it for the Pittsburgh CityCast today on a Tuesday. Mike Pursuta tomorrow on Wednesday afternoon. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers.